Weren't the winter meetings supposed to usher in more clarity, not be the catalyst for more moves that confuse? You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. You promised, man. You promised that we would have some clarity. You said, once we get past the winter meetings, then I'll have a better idea of what's happening. And then where are we? We're here today. I don't have any better direction of, of where they're heading. I, I, I don't know. This is... I know you said it on one of our more recent shows that you didn't want to admit the fact that you, you couldn't quite see some of the, the, the vision here and the moves that they were making. And that felt that that felt true. I, I was with you on that. And then they made a move in the Rule 5 to target a player that really doesn't fit the mold of a player that they like. And we'll get into more of that. And I'm left here just more confused and more perplexed as to what is next for this franchise. Please shed some light on this. I know you've got some answers. Nope, I can't. Thanks for coming. Patreon.com. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Hit up SeatGeek. Use code SELBY. Doesn't matter that the baseball season is over. You can still use that code. No, realistically, what are we doing here? I don't know. Assembling as much young talent as they can with the self-imposed restrictions they have. And then they'll figure it out. (laughs) You're not really making me feel any better here. But it doesn't have to be that deep. They saw a kid who they liked. Okay, that's fair. So they took him. And they'll figure it out later. Is it that we don't see the entire puzzle now, which I'll, I'll, I'll buy. That's fine. You don't have to have all your moves done by December 7th as we record this today. Or is it that they they still aren't sure themselves on, on where they're headed? All of the above. <laughs> I mean, look at look at some of the moves that they've made. Okay, that they've talked about needing pitching depth. They traded away a pitcher. Okay, it was fueled by the fact that you didn't want to commit six million dollars to that. Okay, then you traded a, a reliever that doesn't make as much for a, a reliever that they like better, regardless of whether you or I or the fans or whomever what they think of Delos Santos versus Barlow. They bet on the reliever that makes more for less years of control. Then we go to the winter meetings, and there's talk of beeper trades, which haven't materialized yet. We don't know if they will. They're listening on Class A. We highlighted why that can make sense, but it's a dangerous line to walk. Okay. And then they target a 20-year-old that they're going to need to keep on the roster that has a lot of power, not much contact, and really goes against a lot of the hitting philosophies that they have held close to the to the vest here for the last several years. Yeah, I mean <laughs> You're right, like it, it's he's more Bobby Bradley, Oscar Gonzalez, Jonathan Rodriguez than Tyler Freeman, Stephen Kwan, right? But somebody in that organization nice mug found a guy they liked. Skill sets that they coveted, a bat that they can work with and help improve, and someone in the organization identified traits that, even though to us looking at 
scouting reports and statistics looks like guys who have failed in Cleveland in the past, they think is different. Like if this was Bobby Bradley 2.0, they're not taking him, right? Because <laughs> they've been there, done that. Uh, but something about this guy stands out. And so we'll see what happens. I, I It is weird. You're right. Like n- none of this adds up, but it doesn't have to be a puzzle. It can be fluid. And I don't know. You've operated, you've had fantasy football drafts where it's like, well, I already have two good running backs, but like, if the best player on the board is a running back and I really like him, like I'll take it and I'll figure it out later, right? So it's, I, I, I don't know if it's exactly that, but I, I think I don't have more clarity. I mean, I, I asked the timeline question. They answered it the way you thought they would answer it. They want to win now. They want to win today, tomorrow, next year, the year after that, of course. Um, it's more to me when, when is the most realistic time? I don't know. Cause now the youngest roster in the league, the last two years just added a kid who can't even legally drink yet. <laughs> and I think we can have the conversation about, and we're talking about Davison De Los Santos. You can't have two De Los Santos on the roster too confusing for a young manager. So you trade, trade one of them away so you can bring in another one. Him, just him. There is some intriguing elements at play here. A guy that underwent a a massive swing change and philosophy change at the plate that really helped him unlock a new level at AA last year in the second half. I mean, those swing changes, if they're for real, I get why you're excited about a 20-year-old like that. It's just all of this stuff in tandem hasn't quite come together to to create this symphony of, of harmony here. It just hasn't worked out. Now, again, I understand it doesn't need to all take place right now. They'll need to have it all squared away right now. But uh, in years past, maybe I could see a little bit of a a light at the end of the tunnel or a goal that they're shooting toward. And right now it's like, I I just don't know what that is. To me, it just seems like a roster that's going to be betting on a lot of young kids once again. And and one of these trades isn't going to materialize. And you're probably going to be looking at something similar and hoping that you're going to get some positive regression and the younger players that we haven't seen yet, like Kyle Manzardo are going to play a massive difference that that's the path that I see right now. So let's simplify this. Okay. Let's, let's not try to figure out all 26 pieces on this opening day puzzle right now. Why not? Why not? Because we do that constantly. And that's (laughs) that there. We don't know right now. I mean, so let's, let's simplify this. Let's focus in on this kid and the role he could play, right? So we know they have two big holes in the outfield. They have a power deficiency, and they don't have enough good, consistent hitters. Okay, how does this guy factor in? He's got to be on the roster. We know that. You're not going to take a 20-year-old. You know what's funny? We're talking about Manzardo with the front office this week and asking about, do you let him go on opening day? Are you worried about the rookie of the year thing, the service time thing, everything we've talked about on this podcast? And they, they made a couple points. One, like they had Stephen Kwan on the opening day roster. Like it happens. They constantly, 
I will give them credit. Like everybody manipulates service time when it's convenient, et cetera, et cetera. They have had a hell of a lot of Super 2 guys lately, it feels like. So I don't think they're too concerned with that aspect of it. Certainly, if you can get the extra year of team control, you want it. But it was also brought up like, oh, you know, young hitters, April in Cleveland, Terry Francona's favorite refrain. That was mentioned too. So Manzardo, it's, oh, April in Cleveland. But this 20-year-old kid who's never played above double A, it's like, come on, let's go. Like, So the, the one thing, though, is you're not going to take a 20-year-old who's inexperienced and just say, you're our first baseman, go play 160 times. There are going to be growing pains there. So you would think, however they end up using him, it's going to be baby steps, right? It's going to be platoon. Which side is he stronger on? Like, let's let's ease him in there. He's not a good defender. Okay, let's do DH some, like maybe a little at first base, and and figure it out there. And if he hits well, then like we'll keep we'll we'll give him a little bit more to chew on, and then you go from there, right? So okay, if that's going to be the role, then where does Manzardo fit? Where does Naylor fit? Where does Alonzo, Alfonso Riva, I should know his name, but I just can't believe he's still in the 40-man roster. Where does that guy fit? That's a lot of first basemen. And only one of them is a proven major league hitter. And if Josh Naylor winds up in right field, doesn't your puzzle that you're really stressed about start to seem a little bit more simple? Whoa, hey, that's... That's a big if and what if there with Naylor ending up in right field. We've we've discussed that for I mean, it's always been a you know if Naylor always went to right field that could, that could really help. And then we on we're on to the next topic because it hasn't really been discussed as a legitimate thing. But is it a legitimate thing? Is that on the table for this team? It I don't know. It it really would be beneficial if it was because then there's your right fielder most of the time, part of the time, even if it's part of the time. Then that opens up DH at bats, and you're not you're not going to go get a DH. I don't think they want to clog up that position now. They've gone about that route, and it hasn't always worked out so well. Very recently, but it would make the roster more functional. The fact that you wouldn't need to play Brennan in right field, you can move him to center field, and then late in the game, that's where Straw. You put Naylor at first base. The the guy that was playing first base is out of the game, and then. It all works together much better, but just this is all predicated on him picking up the outfielder's glove and going in to do that again. I, can he do that over a full season? I don't know. He doesn't have to play right field every day either because, again, I don't know that this De Los Santos guy is going to play every day unless he just hits the ground running and doesn't have any growing pains. And also Manzardo, like, I, I, don't, I don't know what his timeline is yet. So, you could play Naylor at first some on days where you want to get maybe Brennan and Loriano in there or give Straw a couple days to play. I don't know. Jonathan Rodriguez plays into this some. George Valera eventually. I don't know. Does Juan Brito wind up in a corner outfield spot? So, there, there's, there's a lot of bodies. You're right. It doesn't fit together yet, but doesn't that make this roster more palatable if it's Quan in left, Brennan Loriano in center, Naylor in right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That that's if even providing the option to open up at bats some of the time 
could perhaps make it more functional. Or against a tough lefty, you can get more right-handed bats in there by doing it this way. It all could make sense. I, I like it. I'm just not sure how realistic it is. I'm not sure if his body could hold up even part of the time playing right field. I, I, I don't know if he could be the best version of him, himself offensively if he's worried about first base and right field. The, the, the fact that he's just settled into being a first baseman, has that helped him blossom as a hitter, that that's less on his plate to worry about defensively? You would think that that's not a huge part of the puzzle here, but I at least wonder it. But all that aside, it would, it would make this roster so much more functional if he could play right field. And then you've got so many more options of what you want to do at DH. I, I like it. I, the, now I'm, I'm starting to dig this roster a lot more, but... All it took was like seven minutes. I mean, but the same <laughs> to the same extent, it'd be great if Jose could go play center field. I, I don't know. I'm just throwing things out. These are just words I'm good. saying. <laughs> yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. These are just words I'm saying. Doesn't mean that it's actually realistic. And even in the offseason, things get floated out. Yeah, Fran Mel Reyes is going to be in the outfield more. And then he never was be- <laughs> because it was usually a disaster when it was out there. And again, they don't have to make these final decisions now. But it you can think about things and see how the trade market plays out. Yeah. And and go for it that way. I, I just they're in a weird spot, right? Like I, I we've criticized them a ton. This is a roster that it I don't know if I want to say it seems close, but like it there's there's a lot of young talent on this team. The rotation as it currently stands, and I don't know that it's going to eventually stand where it currently stands, could be really good. The bullpen could be really good. And the lineup has major holes and also some top-end talent. So, can you just squeeze the most out of what you have? I don't know. Or are you going to just go through growing pains with a 20-year-old and a few other youngsters who are unproven we'll see i will say i am i'm glad to see that they are they're not pigeonholing themselves into thinking about just one hitter here's a hitter that they like and doesn't matter if it matches up with the way we've wanted to to build an offense here for the past several years i don't know how much it's been about that their philosophy needs to be about more contact or did they look at a market and say, these are guys that are undervalued by the market? And in the trying to go about this the moneyball way, which was never about only looking at data, it's how do you find the guys that are undervalued? I wonder how much this organization said, we can make better hitters out of the contact guys. We can add certain things to make them more complete offensive guys. Now, some of that has worked out. Some of it has not over the over the years. A lot of it has not. And we're sitting here looking at ways to introduce more power. I'm happy to see that they are going to target a guy that, that swings the bat in an entirely different way than Stephen Kwan does. But also, I'm left to, to continue to wonder, is it about an organizational philosophy or is it a, a, just about the opportunity cost of a player? And in this, in this case, here's someone that we can get that we like we're going to need to work with. We're going to need to get the most out of them. But it's not only focused on the contact guys. When when, when Valeka tells you, I, I, I want to have power, but the hitters we have here now, 
This is the way that we need to succeed. It's what we said throughout the entire 2022 season. You're not going to make contact guys into trying to swing the bats for home runs all the time. That's not how you can get the most out of them. So I do think a lot of this, at least in this case, it demonstrates that it's not just about looking for the contact. It's just who can we get our hands on? And in the case in the past, maybe it was through the draft, it was the contact guys. It was the guys that were going to go under the radar that you thought you could get more out of. But in this case, here's a guy that is 20 years old, clearly not going to be an everyday player right off the, the rip here, but we think has some power. We like the swing changes he's made. We think that a lot of that can stick. So we're going to take a chance on this kid because if we're patient with him, he could blossom into being a middle of the order bat. I don't, that, that's the best case scenario. There's a reason the offseason schedule is formatted the way it is. Teams have a few weeks to study the available players in the Rule 5 draft pool. So you're doing a lot of video. I remember flying to the winter meetings one year, sitting, I don't, this is legal, right? Sitting behind a someone who worked for a National League Central team that plays at a really old ballpark. And it was some coach or somebody in the organization. He was just studying video over and over on this flight of a guy who was Rule 5 draft eligible. I don't I don't know if they t- ended up taking him or not, but um, they have a few weeks to just pour into this and find somebody you like, find traits you like for whatever reason. It's not like you're just looking at numbers the night before and it's like, oh, here's our big board. No, it's... You're identifying guys because it's a commitment. You know, it's 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 carrying that player on the roster is tricky. I mean, remember Trevor Steffen, his first year in Cleveland would go like two weeks without pitching because they were trying to teach him the splitter and, you know, he needed to get his feet wet, but they also needed him to pitch in games where, you know, it was it was just experimenting. So you have a 20 year old power hitter. Like, there are going to be some extreme growing pains there. This is a guy who needed midseason swing changes to get back on track at double A. So it's, it's, I don't, wouldn't project that he's going to come up and have a 900 OPS and, and get 600 plate appearances next season. But, you know, they saw enough that they think he can succeed eventually, right? And I think. Yeah, I, I. It's difficult because you have you have 180 players in an organization, and you can have philosophies, like yes, they targeted contact first hitters because they felt like that was an innate ability, tough to teach. You can teach power. You can tack on strength, and help guys improve their exit velo and all that. Now. They haven't done overwhelmingly great with that, right? Um, but that doesn't mean that if a player with De Los Santos's skill set comes into the organization, that they're going to be like, "Oh, sorry, man, you gotta, you gotta hit, make more contact. You gotta like aim for more singles the other way." Like they're not going to try to do that. So there are exceptions to the rules, and at the end of the day, you're just trying to get guys who can hit doesn't matter how they hit, just hit. 
And we'll see. I, I, it's, it's tough because it's, you know, the first year, the contact approach, it worked to the extent that they won 92 games, right? But it's not like they were scoring eight runs a night. And then obviously last year, the offense was dreadful and they didn't hit for any power. And it's pretty obvious to see where their deficiencies are. But have they had enough talent in the lineup? And you're relying on a lot of young kids who are figuring it out. And it's it's difficult to draw sweeping conclusions on where they're at organizationally and hitting development. I tried asking Chris Antonetti about this, but he had just found out that they won the draft lottery. So he wasn't really focused on my questions. <laughs> hey, congrats. Um, but I've got this organizational <laughs> philosophy question for you. <laughs> um so I, I, and it, I, I asked, he was like in the middle of finding out as I'm asking this, it's not like he was on stage on MLB network and I'm asking him, um, Chris, to evaluate there, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, I, I, the, the thing that makes this difficult is it takes years to learn if what you're doing is right or wrong, right? Like. You can't just, if you judged Tyler Naquin on his incredible rookie season and said, this dude's a Hall of Famer, you look pretty foolish. If you judge Jose Ramirez on his rookie season, you're like, this guy sucks, get him out of here, you look pretty foolish. It takes a long time. And especially when you're dealing with, to bring it back, this is a 20-year-old who, I don't even know if he really plays a position, and he, like, it's a big leap of faith. So... What it tells me is that they feel very strongly about how they feel about him. Because it's also been a while. Like, when was the last time they took a position player in the Rule 5? It's like Chris McGinnis. Remember him? Oh, yeah. That's a blast in the past. This is not common for them. No. I mean, usually you can sneak the reliever in like they did with Stefan. Bad teams may be a starter. Maybe. But still, that guy's probably not taking on 180 innings for you. Yeah, the position players, we see it. Um, it's happened to Cleveland, obviously. <laughs> the guy the guy in Baltimore that everyone would love to have once was part of this organization and got selected this way, and it was through some manipulation of this guy's on the injured list and then he doesn't have to be on the, full, the roster. So it took a long time before that culminated, right? A couple of years before anyone was, was screaming about that. Uh, it led me to, to ponder two things in regard to how did they even think about this kid. Now, of course, they have people within the organization that are constantly just combing through every organization, every roster, looking for people like this. But even with that happening, you need something to kind of put your focus on. The first thing that came to mind was, who did they talk to in this managerial process where they said, oh, yeah, we've worked with lots of young players like this, this young kid with, with Arizona, you know, this De Los Santos, and we've, we've put a lot of work in, and... I was part of that, helping him make those swing changes. And they said, who is this? We're going to write this to who is this kid we need to look out for? But seriously, I did wonder how much of this is in relation to Arizona maybe calling Cleveland about a Bieber trade in the past. And they've talked about De Los Santos before. And so then they perhaps through seeing the list of Rule 5 guys, they say, well, here, we're already familiar with him. We've already dug in. We... We like these swing changes. We think they're they're pretty real here. We think that the, this is something he can carry over, and so we're gonna we're gonna take the shot on this kid because we've we've kind of fallen in love with him, even though we're not gonna make this Bieber trade with Arizona. That 
that was one thing that, that did come to mind that felt a little bit more legitimate than just <laughs> through the coaching and the, the managerial hiring process, they discovered a name that they really liked. Got us. Were you surprised that he was available? Like, I don't know Arizona's 40 man roster situation, but that age and that skill set, and you made all those changes and like, yeah, I know it's hitter friendly league, but he's had a lot of success. I, that seems like the kind of kid you'd protect. I think you're looking at the fact everything we talked about, 20 years old, has just undergone this swing change, so you there's not a there's not any sort of guarantee that he is jumped up to be this top 100 prospect. Mhm. So I think you're just you're playing the odds that no one's going to roster this guy at the age of 20. Certainly not a uh, an organization like Cleveland that's already young, already has a lot of younger players that I'm sure they want to take a look at, you know. If you're putting together like a big board of teams you need to worry about for a position player at the age of 20 with this sort of skill set, I think I would have put Cleveland somewhere near the bottom. But it is, you put that, it's kind of like like Benson here. You put that much work into getting him into being a serviceable, at least serviceable major league player. And then you trade him away. After you put in all the work, why did you put in the work? <laughs> if you were just going to, at the end of the day, end up trading him away and for... For Arizona, imagine being part of the the hitting staff there in the minor leagues, and you've put in months. And, and before, it's not just hey, one day I woke up and hey, shift your your hands here, shift up right here, get up here, and hey, we're we're and we're off to the races. <laughs> it was probably months and months of pouring over data and looking through people that could benefit from certain changes within their their hitting profile and how they're standing and their stance and their swing and their philosophy. And you finally implement all this, and you have success. I mean, God, yeah, there are guys that have swing changes. For every one that does it, there's 20 that probably made some adjustment, and nothing came of it. You're seeing the success play out on the field, and he's having the success at the age of 20, being one of the younger guys at the level. And you're like, yeah! And then he gets drafted in the role five. But you have to be just so pissed off. Waking up. They did what? They selected who? After we put in all that work? Those bunch of a-holes. <laughs> Should you not put in work with players that you don't want to protect? <laughs> What's the key there? <laughs> but the you never know. Hey, you find a hidden gem that you do want to protect. Squeeze him onto the forty-man roster. So can can you hold off on those Just swing wait. changes for like six months? <laughs> Just wait until we're we're past that deadline. Yeah. Yeah, let him keep swinging and missing the rest of the season. We'll, we'll circle back on this in December. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We we compared Oscar Gonzalez to Jonathan Rodriguez because it was just such a natural comparison. And we, we even said, okay, maybe it's not fair to do that. But yet they dumped Oscar Gonzalez and brought in Davison De Los Santos I'm not going to say that there's similar players because I don't know if Gonzalez had the ability to get to just raw power. 
because of his swing decisions. <laughs> Are we going to be comparing these two? <laughs> Isn't it just, hey, look, De Los Santos is Gonzalez part two or Rodriguez 1.5. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, like you can look at the scout, the stat lines and see similar walk and strikeout percentages and try to draw a conclusion. But um, it's the swing decisions and that's what you can't tell. It's like, are you striking out on what's leading to the strikeouts? Is it chasing? Is it what are you not getting to that you should? Or what are you trying to get to that you shouldn't try to get to? And is there any way you can improve the patience at the plate, the plate discipline? Like, like the, it's, it's that you hear people in the organization, and I'm sure this is like it for across the league. The swing decisions themselves are so key. Because with Oscar Gonzalez, it was like, man, he came up that first year, he hit 290, and like it looked like he was going to be a great hitter forever. And then where was that guy in year two? You didn't see it. Because he didn't make adjustments. And he might make a lot of contact, but that's not always a good thing. Yeah. Right? You're right. It's, it's how you make contact. It's when you make contact. And if yeah. you're going to just roll over that first pitch slider that you could just wait and let go past and find a better pitch in the at-bat, then you will be better off. And it's when do you take the risk? You know, when you're swinging for the fences, are you doing it at the right time? Like, they've encouraged Stephen Kwan, turn on this pitch when you're up in the count 3-1 and you know you're going to get a fastball. You're such a good hitter. You know you're going to make contact with a pitch in the zone. You know which pitches are going to be in the zone. Take a risk. Swing harder. And with someone like De Los Santos, it's like, don't swing harder. Because like if you make contact, it's probably going 450 feet. Because you have such incredible raw power. So just make the right swing decisions that are going to lead to pitches you can make contact on. Right. You can't do so anything it's, it's with this pitch of, on this outside part of the plate. So don't even bother yeah. swinging it. Even if it's a strike. Have the discipline to spit on that and say, I'm going to live for later in this at-bat. And if it ends in the strikeout, you live with it because that's the, the sort of hitter he is. Whereas Gonzalez, it was the gift and the curse. Yeah, you can reach all these different parts of the zone and you can hit outside the zone. And, and so that makes it great that you could do all of those things, but it was also the curse. Because it would lead to weak contact and rolling overs and just things you weren't going to do any sort of legitimate, legitimate damage on unless you were shined on by the Babip gods in that particular day, and it, you dumped one into right field over the second baseman's head or something like that. I feel like every hitter has a formula or an equation that works for them, and it, it's part pitch recognition, part just patience or plate discipline, and then it adds up to the swing decision. And the more positive swing decisions you make, the better off you're going to be. But it's so much of that is it's really hard to teach. I think that's the toughest thing. And I also think it can, yeah, like I think confidence plays a big role too. I mean, Oscar Gonzalez, like did he slump that first year or Andres Jimenez yeah. when he had his really good year yeah. in 2022, yeah, you know, he got hot at the beginning and then, carried that all the way through and he's not a guy who walks a ton but he makes really good swing decisions and i think that that led to his really good season that year so i think for every hitter it's different there are different buttons to press um and that's why i come back to the fact that they had a few weeks to scout everybody in that draft rule five draft pool 
And whatever they identified with him, they think that they can unlock that magic formula. Let's go rapid fire here. Juan Soto to the Yankees. Initial thoughts. Trying to get through, if healthy, even you could say, I guess, Verdugo, Judge, Soto, Stanton, Rizzo. I mean, that's that's a pain. Because the other thing, I know you said rapid fire, I'm sorry. Even when the Yankees, because like this Yankees lineup, I think we saw it in 2022. Like you, you could strike a lot of guys that like Judge was like over 30 with 20 strikeouts against them at one point. Like you can navigate your way through it. But the one thing is like they always made you work. They would draw walks. They would be patient. Soto is as patient as, I mean, you want to talk about swing decisions. I don't think anyone sometimes. in the game is <laughs> as good as him. With I that. think some people want him to swing more at times. If yeah. It's to a fault. But so imagine, like, how many pitches, if you're going to get, if you're going to go through their lineup once, how many pitches are you going to throw? Good luck. Mm, the, That's not the, the limit does not exist. Yeah. I, I did yell at myself a little bit because I, I, I pride myself on trying to find the nuance in everything. And I hate getting on one side or the other. And I initially was like, oh, God, here it is again. Baseball, big Yankees getting this superstar player. But where was everybody else? Okay, that, but there is nuance here for me as well because I, this is a Yankee team that is desperate. There's a there's a uh, a storyline here with this Yankees team that we people in New York recognize the desperation. They haven't won a World Series title since 2009. They haven't been to the World Series in in forever, and by their own standards, and so they're taking another shot. And yeah, they're gonna have to try to woo him and. If I had to bet today, I would venture to guess he's going to stay with New York just because he's already there. And so they're just going to pay him. They're going to throw whatever they want or whatever he wants in, in his direction. This sport is better when I hate the New York Yankees, when mm-hmm. I loathe them, when I tune in nightly to, to, to see them lose. And it has to be in such a way that when they lose, it means something. I mean, yeah, they beat the Guardians in the playoffs, so you hate them for that. But just as a casual baseball fan, if I had seen Yankees and, and pick any team, yeah, I don't want the Yankees to lose, but or I don't want them to win, but okay. Now they've got Soto, and they're 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 building back to be this evil empire. I I kind of like having a Yankee team that I can just hate every single night. You need you need the villain. Need, need the, the villain. Healing. Need the yeah. villain. <laughs> yeah, you'd like a sport where he, where Soto could go to Kansas City, right? Maybe. <laughs> or do you want him to go to the big, big bad Yankees and now you you just got somebody that you can just be pissed off with day in and day out? Shohei Otani, are you mad at Otani for the way he's handled his free agency? No, I love it. <laughs> I mean, I know every national writer is annoyed and because everything is a secret and it's difficult to get information because everyone is so careful to say the wrong thing. But when do we ever get some of the things that have happened? I mean, like the thing with the Blue Jays was hilarious. Their GM is supposed to meet with the media, with their beat writers, Monday afternoon. And an hour before that meeting, they all get a Zoom link in their email saying, Ross Atkins will talk to you on this link in an hour. 
And every question posed to him that day was, where are you, man? Why aren't you here? You're supposed to be here. And he's in front of a blank white board in the background. And he does just so you can't tell where he is. And he doesn't even answer the question. He just dodges it over and over again saying, oh, I'm just happy I was able to be here with you after the scheduling conflict. And like, I mean, we never get stuff like that. And then everyone just assumes, well, he's meeting with Otani and they're trying to figure out where it's happening. Then you Where's, get Dave Roberts like slipping up and saying, "Yeah, we met with Otani." Like it's it's <laughs> this is great. This is actual theater instead of the way this usually plays out, where it's just yeah. Heyman versus Rosenthal versus Passan in a triple threat match, and then Nightingale comes and hits the referee with a chair. I mean, like this is great. No, I think Nightingale would go to hit the referee, but then they would duck, and then he would hit his partner. <laughs> that would be one of those. Yeah, I, I have enjoyed that. It's frustrated some. I, I do. I, I like chaos, and in this case, chaos is people being in the dark, not exactly knowing. If you want it to play out more publicly, if you want it to be this big extravaganza, it's not Shohei Otani's fault. Don't yell at him. He's just following the what he has within his rights as a player to follow. If you want to make it different, you want to change it so the winter meetings are this big crown jewel of an offseason for, for baseball? Yes! Yes, we've screamed about that for past episodes. It'd be fantastic if we could have that, but that's not the way it is right now. So until you change something about it, Shohei Otani, I'm not mad at him. And he's made some other people very upset and got under their skin by not providing enough information. So to that level, it's kind of enjoyable. Kind of like it. Where is the, remember the old shows like CSI, they'd have this voicemail and they'd be listening to it. And, oh, did you hear that train? That train w- would have passed at, it, so it's in the proximity of the the call that he's making at what time we cross-reference that with tracks and the distance, and oh, here's where they are, and it goes. Where are the people like that on that call, <laughs> on that Zoom call, listening in the background, trying to see if they can hear a plane flying overhead, to be able to figure triangulate his position? We need more of that, more of that for baseball. I mean, that's real reporting. <laughs> you got to be a detective. Yes. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here. I know it was split up over these two episodes, but uh, get a little during the winter meetings and after the winter meetings. And just as we drew it up, bud, no, we're not talking about a closer trade or a Bieber trade. We spent one episode talking about the first overall pick and the second episode talking about a Rule 520 year old that we don't even know is going to be on the roster for the entire season. Can't predict offseason. You can't predict this podcast. That's what makes it fun. Fun according to whom? The law. <laughs>